Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China is preparing to welcome a VIP from Australia, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese. Such a trip would have been unthinkable a few years ago. A previous Australian Prime Minister rankled China by calling for an investigation into the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. And there was outrage at claims that Chinese spies tried to infiltrate the parliament in Canberra. As tensions mounted, China placed restrictions on the import of various Australian products. Furthermore, Chinese tourists stopped taking holidays down under, although that was mainly due to COVID rather than politics. So are we currently witnessing a thaw in Australia-China relations? And what are the implications of the planned visit to Beijing by Prime Minister Albanese? I'm joined this week by an expert who's ideally placed to help us answer such questions. He's James Lawrenson, Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology in Sydney. James, welcome to China in Context. Good to be talking with you, Duncan. Well, let's start with the planned trip to China by Mr. Albanese. I noticed that China's vice foreign minister, Ma Zhu, went to Australia in April uh, in order to make preparations. Can you help us to understand why the Chinese might want to patch things up with Australia? Uh, so this year, we're going to expect a visit from the Chinese foreign minister. And then that will set up the big meeting that you referred to, um, Anthony Albanese, going to Beijing later on this year. Now, look, in terms of why the Chinese are coming to the table, I, I really think that by the end of 2021, Beijing realised that its hardline approach to Australia was not just failing, but it was backfiring. So I think they were looking... For an off-ramp, um, you'd be familiar with the trade punishment that China meted out to us in, in 2020 and 2021. Well, that had basically no impact on the Australian economy, but it certainly shattered Australian public opinion towards China. And then at the same time, you had a new government, Australian government elected last May, that was promising to restore calm and professional diplomacy to the China relationship and not drag the China relationship into the um, rough and tumble of domestic political politics. But maybe there's one other factor in that China is having, obviously, its strategic competition with the United States is heating up. Um, and the last thing it wants is multiple geopolitical fires. Uh, it's, you know, things with Australia weren't great, but they could have been even worse. Um, for example, China relies on Australia as the key supplier of iron ore, lithium and a whole bunch of commodities. You know, so China was also uh, re-engaging its own self-interest to ensure um, a stable supply of those goods. One of the issues which caused tension is criticism from Australia over the way China treats the Uyghur minority in Xinjiang. Now, I don't think that issue has gone away. Are Prime Minister Albanese and Foreign Minister Penny Wong just planning to ignore it? No, I think that would be too strong. Um, they're not trying to make a headline out of it. That would be how I'd describe it. Now, look, if you're an activist, um, that's very disappointing uh, because you know making headlines is a legitimate way of moving positions. But look on uh, on human rights issues generally. You know the readouts from ministerial level meetings tell us that these human rights issues are consistently raised. Penny Wong, our foreign minister, um, chose to 
issue a public statement expressing her concern. There was no reason why she had to do that, but she chose to do that. And she's also very happily draws um, attention to receiving delegations of Uyghur Australians. But yes, look, it is noteworthy that um, Australia hasn't gone as far as some other countries. Uh, for example, uh, we haven't sanctioned senior Chinese officials that are connected to those human rights um, abuses. You know, there's no talk of a equivalent of the trade sanctions that the United States has put on exports from Xinjiang. Now, I'm struck that this flurry of diplomatic activity between Australia and China is happening at the same time that several foreign leaders have visited Beijing from Europe in the past few months, including Emmanuel Macron of France. Mr Macron's critics suggest that he was uh, naive to think that he could do anything to influence Xi Jinping. And I would have thought that Mr Albanese's influence on Mr Xi is also minimal. Well, what's your view? I think you're right on that, Duncan, and I think um, Prime Minister Albanese understands that as well. I, I don't think he's, he has any um, illusions that he can uh, have any influence on China's foreign policy, broader foreign policy behaviour. And in fact, just um, two days ago, we had a, a high-profile speech given by our foreign minister, Penny Wong, in Canberra, and I might just quote it for you. She said, quote, um, we start with the reality that China is going to keep being China. She went on to say that we need not waste energy with shock or outrage at China seeking to maximise its advantage. That's simply what we should just expect. But look, Albanese does also like to say, and he says this repeatedly, um, that engagement and dialogue is always a good thing. And I think he's right on that in the context of making a difference in the bilateral relationship rather than China's foreign policy behaviour Chinese officials and Chinese businesses certainly keep an eye on leader-level meetings. So the fact that Albanese met Xi Jinping last November on the sidelines of a G20 meeting in Bali um, had real significance. The South China Sea remains a potential flashpoint between China and the United States and its allies, including Australia. So this brings me on to the AUKUS security pact between Australia, the US and the United Kingdom, which includes new defence acquisitions, such as nuclear-powered submarines. Beijing may see this as evidence that Canberra is lining up with Washington to confront China militarily. How do you see it? That's certainly Beijing's stated position. And look, to be clear, there's a lot of um, high-profile Australian analysts who, who would say the same thing. Um, you know, when you look at the capability of a nuclear-powered submarine, well, obviously it has um, the capability to get up into the South China Sea or the East China Sea in, in a very short space of time. Um, and they're clearly not just about defending Australia's coastline, uh, you know, naval vessels approaching our coastline. So uh, th th there is that element. But look, there is an alternative view of AUKUS, and I just don't think we can rule it out. Um, Australia has long, as in for decades, balanced welcoming China's economic rise and deepening economic um, integration with China, with developing stronger military and security ties with the United States and other partners in the region like Japan. But Beijing is obviously always going to be against any um, coalitions that might be directed against it. So I don't think that was surprising. Um, but I did note that when the big AUKUS submarine announcement 
was announced in March, the response from Beijing was actually very uh, muted. And I don't think that was surprising for a couple of reasons. First, um, I think it's been baked into Beijing's understanding that um, in, in its re-engagement with Australia over the last year, that the Australian government is not going to be walking away from AUKUS. You know, even the Chinese ambassador a couple of months ago said that he understood, look, we have differences, we even have disputes, um, but we want to focus on areas of of cooperation and mutual benefit. So I think there's that realistic element to engagement between Australia and China now, and that, that's a good thing. And the second thing is when the AUKUS announcement was made in March, it was handled with very, very impressive diplomacy, a, a real trademark of the Albanese government. For example, um, Australia offered Beijing a briefing of the announcement ahead of the public announcement. Um, and when the announcement was made, there was no attempt to um, poke China in the eye <laughs> As you might imagine, the former um, Australian government led by Scott Morrison might have done. So, look, diplomacy really matters. Um, in my view, a lot of the trouble the Australia-China relationship sunk into between 2017 and 2022 wasn't so much the policies, although, of course, Beijing objected to some of those. It was some, in my view, again, extraordinary um, amateurish, um, unprofessional diplomacy. Uh, and that's certainly been corrected by the new Albanese government over the last 12 months. Can I share a quote with you? It's from Australia's ambassador to the United States, Arthur Sinodinos. You mentioned it actually recently in an article that you wrote for the Guardian newspaper. Mr Sinodinos said, I think the first thing to say is that I start from a proposition that a strong and prosperous China is in everybody's interests. What do you make of that? It's quite an extraordinary statement, isn't it, from an Australian ambassador to Washington for the last uh, three years who's been vigorously advocating and moving forward the AUKUS arrangement, and yet that's the way he describes um, Australia's starting point to thinking about China to a Washington audience. Look, in a sense, that sentiment is a stock standard Australian position for decades. And look, perhaps until a decade or so ago, it was pretty common in Washington as well. Now, Washington has shifted a long way from that position, I think, um, but Canberra still sticks to it. In fact, Penny Wong was in London in January and she made a very similar remark. Um, she talked about continuing to welcome China's economic rise and economic integration between China and the region, including Australia, um, was a good thing. She said it was a good thing for three reasons. First of all, it was good for China's own population. The fact that um, hundreds of millions of people have been lifted out of poverty, that is a good thing. Um, secondly, obviously, um, it's been to Australia's enormous commercial benefit. But the third thing she said was that in the Australian government's view, prosperity and, and security and, um, and stability are mutually reinforcing. Now, I don't think that's the position that Washington takes anymore, but it's certainly it's a position that the Australian government takes, and I think it's a very common position held in um, in East Asia generally, certainly in Southeast Asia. So it's not a naive position saying that oh, just because we trade with China, there's no possibility there could be a military conflict. No, 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 not at all. But I think she is making the point that those economic and trade links do raise the cost of such a dispute in the military realm. And so therefore, it's it's a good thing if we lower that probability. When I look at the Australia-China relationship, I do actually see some bigger differences 
between Australia's position on China and America's position on China than perhaps some of my colleagues who are coming more from a, you know, a strategic or a security background. Let me finish with a big question, James. Do you think that under the leadership of Prime Minister Albanese, the relationship with China is seen primarily in transactional terms, by which I mean are both sides just looking to see what they can gain from each other? Or is there still a strong ideological tone to it, the sort of democracy versus autocracy narrative, which we frequently hear from Washington? I probably wouldn't describe it as transactional, uh, more pragmatic. Look, the former Morrison government, certainly in the last 18 months of the, the former Morrison government, played up a strongly ideological line. We had the Australian Prime Minister talking about an arc of autocracies. I mean, of course, China was part of that arc, but that's not a language that the Albanese government uses. It's not that the Albanese government is blind to ideology or is, you know, is not concerned um, by dangers, you know, fl potentially flowing from authoritarian states working together, but I don't think that's the frame um, that drives how they engage in the bilateral relationship. Another very common quote of our Prime Minister that he repeatedly uses is that when it comes to China, we cooperate where we can, disagree where we must, and engage in the national interest. Now, that is um, very firmly pragmatic. And look, it's also a, a position, I think, that uh, meshes very well with Australian public opinion. Um, at the Australia-China Relations Institute, we do an annual survey of Australian public opinion towards China. Um, and, you know, 60% of Australians still say that building closer ties with China is a good idea, um, compared with less than 20% who say it's not. Um, Australians see China as a, the China relationship as a complex relationship to be managed rather than as one to walk away from. Um, the view of the Australian public is that's going to leave us in a worse place than if we maintain um, engagement, which the current Albanese government is certainly pursuing um, with vigour. Well, thank you, James, for helping us to understand the dynamic of the Australia-China relationship more clearly. That was Professor James Lawrenson, Director of the Australia-China Relations Institute at the University of Technology in Sydney. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute in London, and you can find out more on our website, soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here on the China in Context podcast team.